0: Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening in. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information check out our website at mbkumc.com. All right, good morning everybody to see everyone here today. Um, faces. Oh, I I have so many feelings about the fact that it's nearly been a year since we've started worship like this, and and like some of us we haven't seen each other in a long, long time, and um, like if that's. If that's you and I haven't seen you and we haven't seen you in a long time, um, please know that you're, you're in our hearts and that we're praying for you, that we love you. Um, and I just I just wanna take a moment just to um, give God thanks for our community. Uh, I think it's a really wonderful thing that we still have one another. I know quarantine has been quite crazy. Um, for churches all across the country. Um, But I just want to say I'm so grateful uh, that you guys all are here this Sunday, that you're showing up, that you are still working at your relationship with the Lord and that you haven't given up on it. I think there's something to be said and honored about how unprecedented these times are, but how much you have stayed the faith, even when it hasn't been easy to do that. So I just want to honor your presence um, in person and also online just for showing up. Um, I know that I appreciate it as your pastor, but I know that God sees that, uh, and he sees it loud and clear, uh, and he honors your heart as well. So there's a lot going on in our country. Um, this Wednesday is inauguration day. I don't know about y'all. I might go crawl under a hole because you know so so many feelings are going to happen this week, and and not to make church political by any means, but I think it's important regardless of who it is, regardless of where we stand. I think it's important to pray uh, for the leaders of our country and for this world, not because you know they hold any spiritual significance in being the leaders of our country, but because they are entrusted with four years of many many lives and uh a lot of who whom are part of those lives that they're that they hold jurisdiction of is the church or the church uh, not just the church in america but the church around the world the church that needs uh refugees the church that needs political asylum and so um yeah so let's just make sure to pray for our president As he gets inaugurated this Wednesday, regardless of where you stand, pray for him. That's where he's going to be for the next four years. So pray for him. Um, And hopefully you guys last through the day. Um, I don't know if I will, but hopefully y'all can. Uh, So yeah, let's just take maybe 30 seconds to pray for our nation's next leader. Starting now. amen all right we are continuing in our sermon series i know we've done long sermon series it's pretty crazy to think that we've been almost a year in quarantine but this is what our second or third sermon series because acts went on for uh all of 2020 basically um but we are now in romans and romans is not going to be short um but today's is it today's Today's sermon and today's passage is is also thick, uh, so can we just turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 4? Romans chapter 4. Just want to send up to you guys another disclaimer that this is not my words or my wisdom or anything like that, but that it, this is, I've just exegeted the word of God, so I'm right here with you if you have a hard time. If you have a hard time understanding or you have a hard time digesting please know i'm right there with you so yeah let's read through this romans is right after acts or no yes right after acts right i believe so right after acts before first corinthians that should be yes um it's a thick book romans oh my god romans all right i'm just gonna oh sorry i'm just going to read through um this chapter actually let me let me save us no yeah i just need to read through this chapter so we're gonna read through romans 4. hang on tight i'm reading from the esp if y'all are not reading from the ESV, I think that's fine. All right. If 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 whatever you need to get you through Romans, if message helps you, although message is longer. Oh my God, message is longer. Uh, but whatever you need to get you through this passage, you do you. All right, you do you. Um, I'm just gonna be reading. This is the word of the Lord. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he was about 100 years old. (laughs) Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God For our trespasses and raised for our justification this is the word of the lord thanks be to god would you join me in praying abba we humbly come before you we humbly come before who you are and what you've done for your people we humbly submit to all that you are doing in the hearts of your people and we just want to take this time to give you glory Uh, but we just pray be magnified right now lord these are your words this is your wisdom this is your faith so god i pray for every single person who is listening right now that the spirit of works and achievement and faith will be lifted right now in jesus name God, that we would come to delight in how we cannot earn your faith and that there is nothing that can take it away from us. Abba, we pray right now for faith to arise in every single heart of every person who believes in you, that they may know that you are Lord. Abba, I pray, Father, I am weak and I am imperfect and you know how much I fall short. So I will me behind your cross so that only you are magnified and only you are lifted high. God, that it would only be your word and not anybody else's word. That it would be only your grace and not anybody else's grace. Only your salvation and your glory. So Father, may the words that leave my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts, God, be pleasing to you. Receive honor and glory. Holy Spirit, take us to the next level with you. Protect us from distraction. Protect us right now that we would listen into your faith and take it seriously. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For those of us who have just walked in, welcome. It's wonderful to see you today, Christian. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so counted. To- <laughs> Sorry, guys. I I don't know why I'm like this. I don't know, but you know we're all we're we're all in on this right together. I don't know why I'm like this. I don't know why I have to say that. Y'all didn't even. Hello, I love you, Christian. Um. So Romans four today today's sermon title is counted by him as righteous. Counted by him as righteous. I'm going to do this a little bit differently today because this is a lot of um, words. There are just a lot of words right now uh, that I just read. And so I'm I'm actually going to take us through, there are four four points that I know I'm not really one to do like three or four point sermons by any means, but I, I definitely want to take us through the four main ideas that um this this chapter is about and I want to give them their full due so I don't want them to bleed into one another and I just want you to be able to take them down. So for those of you guys who are taking notes today is your day. Uh, today is the day to take down notes. I mean Romans 4 in general is the day to pay attention. Um actually all of Romans <laughs> it's going to get uh, Romans 5 6 7 oh, okay but um <laughs> But still, right, t- today is the day that it will be easy for you to take notes. So I'm just going to give you guys four points. And we're going to go through those four points together uh, before we go into application. The first point, right? Of the, the four points of what this chapter is saying. The first thing is, faith is something completely different from works. It's the first thing that it's saying. Faith is something completely different from works. Number two, faith does not depend on any religious ceremony. Faith does not depend on any religious ceremony. Number three. Faith is not related to the law. Faith is not related to the law. Number four. Faith rests in a promise that flies in the face of what is natural and normal. I'm going to say that maybe two more times. Faith rests in a promise that flies in the face of what is natural and normal faith rests in a promise that flies in the face of what is natural and normal if you guys didn't take down all these four points that's fine make sure you give yourself space because i'm going to i'm going to be you know going back into them and repeating them over and over again okay so that's those are those four points that we're going to be going over the first point faith is completely different from works last week we talked about how we have all fallen short of the glory of God and how grace meets us as a complete and utter gift and what that means for us in our lives and and Paul he's very seamless in his transitions honestly it's really all one this is the hard thing about Romans is that it's just all one stream of consciousness like my question is how do you do ministry to 20, for 25 years to the point where all of Romans just word vomits from you? But basically Romans is kind of like that. It just is, it's not even, you can't even really fully tell when the sentences end or begin because they're just all stream of consciousness. And so Romans 4 flows a lot from what has happened in Romans 3. And the last thing we picked up on Romans 3 is that man cannot boast in, in grace. And so that's exactly where Paul picks up. And he says, Abraham has nothing to boast in. What was gained by Abraham? Did he work his way into the kingdom? And then Paul quotes one of my favorite and one of the most challenging verses I have found to my faith uh, this whole time. And that's Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I believe that is Genesis 15 verse 7 through 8. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, i've I've expounded on 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 this many many times right Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness Paul introduces this as he says that Abraham is nothing to boast in and I've expounded on the Hebrew interpretation of this right that faith you know because in 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 the Hebrew the word counted is an accounting term it's a business term it's saying that you know when I when I count one two three denari it is Seven, you know, I don't know, seventy dollars, right? And it's this amount of this amount of currency equals this amount of wages, right? Uh, That's the kind of word counted is in Hebrew, and it says it is Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as sadakah, righteousness. Sadakah is not just righteousness and in a like lofty general thing, but what that word means is a righteous action, and so. The Hebrew is saying is that faith, more than doing the right thing, more than doing what God, more than doing all the right things that God wants you to do, more than all of that, believing in God is a righteous act. Believing in God is counted as a righteous act. And there's this equation, right, where faith is equal to righteousness. And Abraham's belief in, belief in God is taken as a righteous act in and of itself. That's, that's mind blowing, right? That in and of itself is mind blowing. But what Paul does here is he takes that to the next level. He says, oh no, 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 that's not the only thing that's going on. Yes, all of these things are true, but Paul is taking it to the next level. In the original language of the Greek, Paul, he adds this layer. Where he's basically saying that God is accounting to Abraham a righteousness that doesn't belong to him. Not just that Abraham believed God and his belief was counted as a righteous act, but that that righteousness doesn't belong to him. So Paul points out the faith that God can put the point that God cannot ever be obligated to any person. And so this righteousness Doesn't belong to him. That's what, see, Paul says here, he says, he starts saying, Now to the one who works, his wages wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And what Paul is getting at here is, yes, Abraham's faith is equated to be a righteous act. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Abraham's faith is deserving of being counted as a righteous act. So a lot of us, we learn in, in church that faith is given to us when we believe in God. But for a lot of the times, I and mean, we, you know, it's like, oh, sin has been born on the cross for, for, by, by Christ. And if we believe in the name of Jesus, we are given faith. But we are not, we do not often think about the fact. Often our brains don't go there, and maybe the brains of the preachers don't go there. But here we are. Romans goes there. Um, that even believing in God shouldn't shouldn't be counted as righteousness. It's not that big. It can't. It shouldn't. It's it's a small. It's a in comparison to what you need to be justified from. Like, what Abraham is going into, what Paul is going into here, he says, not to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. He's saying that if faith was weighty enough on its own to be counted as righteousness, that would be an obligation to you. Oh, I believe in you, give me my righteousness. If faith was something that was that, Like on its own, if faith in God was something that was that weighty, then you would be given, you would be given righteousness as an obligation. God would have to cough it up to you. But what Paul is saying here is that. Abraham's faith is counted as righteousness, a righteousness that does not belong to Abraham, even with his faith. That it That faith in God is not an exchange for salvation, but that when you believe in God, God gives it to you. That even at that point it's not wages. So for some of you guys who might say, I believe in you, God. Why is this happening to me? You've got to understand the nature of grace. There is legitimately no way you can earn salvation. Not even with your faith. Not even by this new currency of faith. Can you all of a sudden make an exchange and purchase grace? Verse 5 says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him, who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And that word is to account to him a righteousness that does not belong to him. So God isn't obligated to any person just because you believe. There, so there's that 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 element of, of wages, but then there's this... Hey, whose water is this? It's mine. It's my water. Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Um, faith, sorry. Faith cannot be obligated to any person. So there's this element that faith in and of itself should not be able to earn you salvation but that when you have faith it is given to you as a gift right but then there's this other element that god is not obligated to anybody god is not obligated to save you this world this is a big word so for those of you guys who don't know this word write it down because it's. It'll help you in your SATs, right? This world is dilapidated, okay? What I mean by that is that it is deteriorating. It is diminishing. It is dying actively as we speak. Why does the world die? The world dies because sin is in it. And sin has shown its rear to head in the physical world in dilapidation. Everything comes to an end everything has a lifespan that ends that's not that's that's all because of sin sin is rebellion against god in all of us there's the desire to be our own god therefore the world, I'm just taking it us logically through this. Therefore, the world is deteriorating because it has rebelled against God. God is the creator of the universe. God is the person whom all of this is belongs to. All of this belongs to. God is the one who owns, who has created everything. And the world has rebelled against God and is dying. Let me ask you a question. Should God be obligated to save you? Even if you believed in the existence of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that's just a reality. That's reality of what God has done. Does that faith all of a sudden make God obligated to save us? The, Cliff's note, the Cliff Notes answer, and the, really the simple answer is no. So, so he can't credit human beings anything on the basis of anything. Even the accounting term is limited. God doesn't owe you anything. For some of us, this is really important to digest. Because a lot of the times, as Christians, our faith can become our works righteousness. We believe in God. Therefore, That's, I've done my, I've done my part. Cheap grace. When we, when we cheapen grace and we say, oh God, I'll I'll pay attention to you when I'm 30 or 40. At least I believe in you. That comes from, and I know this is really complex. If your brain is hurting right now, I'm sorry. That's just Romans. Um, But faith, a lot of the times we allow our faith to be an action that justifies it. But what justifies us is God, who gives us salvation as a gift through faith. Your faith itself cannot be a work that credits you. God doesn't function like that. It's not a currency exchange. This is not, salvation is not give and take. You have to remember that in reality, when you really look at the scales and how they weigh, believing in the existence and the reality of Jesus Christ and what he has done for our sins, shouldn't weigh. I mean, that's just common sense, really. And yet, Christ died, so that when you do, what he has paid covers you. And that, my friends, is a gift. For example, this is a phenomenon that I've only seen out here. But I realized that a lot of us, we use our friends, our our family members like Costco cards, right? Um, Costco is like this one-size-fits-all membership, and, you know, it's Massachusetts, so, you know, we all Asian, and, you know, there's some sort of... <laughs> no, I'm not saying that we look down on people who aren't, people who are, people who are... I'm not saying that we look... D- anyway um but we often our family goes through this you know families as i've seen if you're if you're if there's a picture on the id card and it's you're asian and you're a girl then you carry around your mama's card and you do your groceries because you're certain that they won't tell the difference right um it's like using like a family member's card to get into something right let's say you know your family member has a membership Let's say one person has Disney Plus, right? We all borrow the IDs and passwords and we don't pay it, but we get, to, we get to experience all of the joys that come along with having paid that cost. So faith in God is not in and of itself you paying that money. But faith in God is almost like you are borrowing somebody else's, what somebody else has paid to enter into something that you don't deserve. Mm-hmm. By believing in Jesus, and not just what he's cost you, but what he has done for you in the way that he has loved you, you are basically... borrowing not borrowing but you are taking what he has done and that's what faith is faith is not an action that buys you justification and righteousness but it is taking the reality of Christ and borrowing that not necessarily borrow but it comes onto you it's it's even greater than borrowing it's just given to you and you get to walk into something that you did not earn or deserve Faith is something completely different from works. And it should not be measured in currency. You've got to throw the give and take out the window. We live in a materialistic society where that's hard, but you've got to throw that out. The second thing is is that faith does not depend on any religious ceremony. Circumcision does not qualify somebody to be chosen. Paul makes the very simple... The real identification of what came first. He does what... For example, he does what came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first? What do y'all think came first? I think it's the chicken. We can talk about it. If y'all want to discuss that, you can turn on your cameras after service. and We can talk about it some more. Uh, But I think it's the chicken. But... Um, Paul just pulls that out he goes what came first circumcision or faith and the very clear and simple reality is that faith came first faith is in Genesis 15 circumcision is in Genesis 17 chronologically faith came first so circumcision came after faith a lot of the times we take circumcision we take or we take our our faith or our our belief in God, and we allow that, I mean, this is primarily for the Jews, but I think that there's something to glean from it, right? Because, you know, a lot of the times we allow our faith to be like our ID card. To be like, here, can't judge me. This is it, right? And, and, and sometimes our Christian identity, or maybe our confirmation, or our baptism, we allow that to justify us. Ah, well, I'm Christian, so everything kind of goes. But circumcision doesn't qualify anybody to be chosen. It came after faith, which means that it is a sign or a seal of what already exists. It is a sign or a seal of what already exists, right? And then that has been taken out of the equation. With the new covenant circumcision or the sign of what exists the faith that exists has been taken out why because it is a removal of all outward distinctions in the face of god's grace see circumcision is like our ids our government ids our college ids our work ids whatever ids you have if you don't have if you're an adult and you do not have a government-issued form of identification go get it college kids go get it okay um we all have ids right do your ids get you into citizenship in America Do your college ID cards get you into college? Like if I have a BU ID card, does that get me into BU? No. Our ID cards are an identification of what we already are. So circumcision was that way all along. In the Old Testament, all along, circumcision was an outward symbol of what had already been given to them in faith. That happened in the Old Testament. We often act like faith wasn't a thing in the Old Testament. Everybody had to, like, you know, offer sacrifice. Faith started in the Old Testament. And circumcision was an outward symbol of faith in the hope of the promises of God. And this is what makes the church countercultural, right? Right? They don't get us into college, they don't get us into America, but we work to have it as a sign, right? Well, what God is doing by removing that, he's removing all outward distinctions of faith in the face of God's grace and the universal offer of the gospel. What I mean by that is, regardless of your race, regardless of your culture, regardless of your socioeconomic status, any outward distinctions... Of what a christian should look like what race a a, a christian should be what place a christian should be at what kind of person a christian should be how dirty or clean how rich or poor none of that matters anymore the removal of circumcision It does not actually impact, it's not necessarily, it is something that is fundamental and it impacts the gospel. But the the way that it impacts the gospel, it doesn't just change the game. it, It changes who gets to enter in. Taking away something like a sign or a seal of something that already exists. What it's doing is it's completely removing faith from works, number one. But number two, what it's doing is it's removing all outward distinctions of Christians. So if y'all look different, if your lives are different than what the average Christian's life is, if your faces look different than my face. That does not disqualify you from being a part of our community. And that does not disqualify you from being a part of the body of Christ. That has already been done. There's no reason for you to feel any type of way based off of who you are and what status you have and whether or not you're rich or poor. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter when it comes to your... There is no no seal. It's faith. It's just faith that completely qualifies you and completely ushers you in into all that salvation has opened up to you. Faith does not depend on any religious ceremony. Number three, faith is not related to the law. I explained this last week. The law cannot save. I explained this for those of you guys who weren't here. I explained this in terms of tobacco, tobacco, Um, the whole world, all of America, um, was like completely caught up in cigarettes for about two decades. And then everybody started catching cancer as a result of cigarettes. And then, so the country was like, Oh, Oh, nah, we got to make sure people don't smoke no more because, Oh, what everybody was doing is socially acceptable is actually uh, catastrophic for their health. Uh, and so what did they do? They launch a, they and and this happens with other substances as well right and so they launch these kinds of campaigns like dare um or like anti-tobacco campaigns you know smoking is bad for you we still get the occasional i mean i get it all the time i don't know why it's in my youtube algorithm but i get it all the time on youtube you know the anti-tobacco ads don't you guys get it all the time Aha, uh-huh. some of us get it all the time, some of us don't see it at all. Don't know why that's in my algorithm, but it's there. And so we, you know, we, even to this day, we get those ads, you know, smoking kills, right? And it's like, don't be, don't be a slave to smoking. And, and you get all these ads, right? Smoking is bad for you. And you get all these, like, terrible looking ads. Uh, the most recent one I saw is made tobacco look like something out of Transformers. Um <laughs> and, You know, and they do all these things to try to get you to not smoke, thinking that knowledge, the knowledge that it kills you, would ever stop you, without actually realizing. The reason why people smoke is because of pressure. Peer pressure, societal pressure, right? So knowledge, which has nothing to do with why people smoke to begin with, is not going to stop people from smoking. In order for people to stop smoking, the pressures have to lift, right? Peer pressure has to lift. It has to go the other way in order for smoking to end in America. And yet, the government is trying to solve it with knowledge. Teaching people not to smoke is not going to solve the pressure that is on them to smoke. And in the same way, knowledge about sin is not going to break the problem if sin is dominating over you in pressure. And it's, it's just, you're we're dominated by, by sin. Paul goes a step further. He said that the law brings wrath. So there are these two things that the law does. The law brings knowledge. Knowledge doesn't necessarily take away sin. It just brings knowledge. But then he adds something to that. He says, the law brings wrath. Why does the law bring wrath? Because it heightens the accountability between God and people. What do I mean by that? When somebody does something that is generally wrong, or kids break general rules, you're going to get mad. You know? If some of y'all, actually, maybe not, I'll use Hongi. I'll I'll use my little sister as an example. If my little sister goes and dates a guy. (laughs) She just coughed on her water. Dates a guy (laughs) that is semi-questionable. Or, I don't really know where this boy came from. I don't really know why this boy looked the way he looked. Um, I don't understand how this boy thinks. And she brings this guy to me. She's like, "Jay, this is my new boyfriend. I see, this it. is my new boyfriend. And I don't understand why this man is the way that he is. I'm going to get tight. It's not just about being man, it's not about being miffed. I'm going to be tight, right? So it's going to get real tight right here. My diaphragm, my fists. They're going to get a little, they're going to get a little tight. They're going to, they're going to, the motion is going to go like this, right? If I hadn't explained to her anything about dating, I hadn't said, you know, you shouldn't do this and that. And she brings it out that's this question. Well, I'm about to get tight, right? But I have already outlined to her what I will not be okay with, right? Not that that should stop her from pursuing her dreams and her goals or anything like that, right? But I've already told her the baseline of the kind of man that she should not bring into the home. It's not like, oh, I need him to be this high. No, no, no. It's, you know, loving the Lord, right? He's got to love God, right? He's got to love her well. My basic requirement is that he's got to love God. He's got to honor her family. And he's got to love her more than I love her. I realize that that's not easy. But by the time this boy thinks of bringing a a ring, I don't know why my voice changed, but by the time this boy thinks that he could bring a ring and a rock and put it on her finger, he has got to have those three things in place. If she brings to me a man, I've already outlined it. I have made very specific what needs to happen. But if she brings a man that does not respect her as much as I do, that openly mistreats her in front of me, or that pulls her away from her family, right? Says, wants her, takes away from her family time. Or even takes away, like family is not just family, but it's also community, right? Drags her away from her community to be an island. And I've already outlined these things to her. And, you know, I don't, I don't hold these expectations for anybody else. Like, I, I am a sinner. I, I don't have the right. But this is my little sister. So, you know, your girl is just operating on a, a different set of, on a different playing field here, right? But I've already outlined these things to her. And if by the time she brings this man home for the sake of the rock, right, and he ain't there, I'm not just about to get tight. Your girl might throw hands. She might. If I'm in a car, he better be in another car. I might run him over, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. I don't know how much of a joke it is, but it's a joke. It's really a joke. Jesus loves me and He saved my soul. So, um, <laughs> but I will say, like, the the level of how pissed I will be definitely goes up because I have already told her what. The basic of, of the basic line of what would be healthy and good for her, and if she were to act out of that, not that I am the be-all end-all, that I am like you know, penal law or anything like that, but just I would be oh, extremely tight, and I would take it out 100% on the man. Um, in that same way, when we generally rebel against the lord that's already cause. that's already sin in, in and of itself and that's already cause for god's wrath but when god has clearly outlined what rebellion is god has clearly outlined the things that are not good for your soul and god has clearly outlined the things that exist ex- now i i just realized that i have equated my requirements to god's law I just want us to, it's just, it's just, a, it's just, um, it's just an illustration. Those two things are not on the same playing field at all. But I'm just saying the relationship between the two are the same. Just, just a disclaimer. But yes, God has outlined to us already what is good and what is evil. And yet we continue to walk in evil. The fact that God has outlined it to us, that we are aware of that, and yet we still walk in it, it does intensify our rebellion against the Lord. And in that sense, the law brings wrath. Faith ain't got nothing to do with the law. You obeying the law, disobeying the law, going this way and that way. None of that changes anything about faith. Only grace can be the antidote for sin. And the law does not bring grace over your head. Faith does. Faith is not related to the law. Finally, point four. Faith often rests in a promise that flies in the face of what is natural and normal. This last point is what faith... If the past three points are what faith is not, this last point is what faith is. And Paul uses the example of Abraham having a son. I cracked up when I read this because I think I think Paul is sassy, all right? I think Paul is sassy. He straight up says, I'm dead, right? He straight up says, all right? He did not weaken, right? He said, in hope, this is about Abraham. He believed against hope so that he should become, this is verse 18, by the way, uh, the father of many nations, as he has been told, so shall your offspring breed. Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Or would he consider the barrenness of Sarah's womb? The man dead said <laughs> that, that at the time that Abraham believed in God, his body was as good as dead. Because he was a honey. Yo, that's that's shade. That's random shade. That's like that's like that didn't have to be there. Like Paul is making a point and I get it, but that's random shade. So he says, he says, well, that man was as good as dead. And that man's sperm was as good as dead. You know why he says that? Because the word sperm is actually the same root as the word seed and offspring here. It's spermese. I'm, I'm not, I'm not lying to you. All right. It is the same word, right? It's the same word. And he says that Abraham's seed was, was as good as dead. And then he says that Sarah's womb was barren. But that word barren means basically dead. <laughs> I'm like, that's savage. <laughs> but he's saying like, God brought life out of Abraham's dead seed and Sarah's dead womb. <laughs> like, there was no, I mean, I, and, and it's funny. It's, it's funny because he said that Abraham's body as good as dead. Um, it's funny, but it's true because Abraham was 100. When was the last time you saw a Haimangu give birth? When was the last time? When was the last time you saw a Haimangu and a harabaji be birth to a little baby boy? What I don't remember the last time I saw how much you was a hundred. And frankly, my mind does not want to go there, right? It's just wrong. It's just wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong, right? Um that it's wrong and it's not possible. It's not supposed to be possible. Just the idea of a haimungal giving birth makes me scared for the haimungal in so many ways that I'm like anxious right now. The idea of it. Anxiety has just come over me. Right? That's how impossible that situation was. For Abraham and Sarah to have a kid. That's how impossible that situation was. And he says, who believed in hope against all hope. Abraham's faith believed in hope against all hope. He took these impossible situations into account and his faith did not waver. He did not believe in the possibility of this happening. He believed in hope and the promises of God. Abraham believed in hope and the promises of God. And so when he took these impossible situations into account, Abraham's faith did not waver. If Abraham was believing for a possibility of having a child, at that age, maybe he wouldn't be the father of faith. But he hoped in the promise of God. He didn't hope in science. He didn't hope in what he could understand. It was an impossible situation that could not happen. And Abraham hoped in God. And it was a hope. It was a specific hope. It's not just a hope for the future. It's not just a hope for the possibility that God's word will come to pass. It's not just for the hope that God loves him. It's not just for the hope of this and the hope of that. This is a specific hope that springs from God's word of promise. See, in Genesis 15, when Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, God took him outside and he said, look up at the stars, if you can number them. Thus shall your seed be. God calls and names all the nations that will come out of Abraham before anything had even come to pass. Abraham is just one person in the world without a single child and a wife that was way past child-rearing years. And he goes, look at, go out and look up at the stars if you can number them. Thus shall your seed be. Abraham is hoping and promise. For our youth students, I know this is really jarring, I don't know why, I don't know why I said the root of that word. Um, It's all very jarring, but if you guys can even fathom it, I know know for the adults we might be getting a hunch, but for the youth students, if you guys can even fathom it, it's, you know, you're in a situation that's impossible, right? Maybe something that hasn't come to pass yet. I always use the example of parents making us food. But maybe like you want, you know, there's a MacBook Pro coming out, maybe you want the next MacBook Pro and you're begging your parents, and your parents are like, no, 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 right? Maybe your parents are doing badly because of COVID, and you're like, well, our family doesn't have much money, but I want this, right? And your parents say, fine, fine, we'll do it for you. We'll get it for you. It's not in front of you, but you're hoping and you're trusting in the word that your parents gave you, that they will do that for you. And you are happy as though you already received it. You understand what i'm getting at right now it's a specific hope that comes from trusting in promise and god called out from nothing he calls out nothing exists at this point he looks at the star he makes abraham looks at the stars and he calls he addresses the nations that will come out of abraham but no nothing has happened yet abraham doesn't even have a child yet and yet abraham looks at God's word, and trusts God's word as though it has already happened. An unwavering hope that springs from the promise of God. Faith often rests in a promise that flies in the face of what is natural and normal. And because faith secures the promise, everyone who believes isn't a descendant of Abraham. Because God blesses Abraham's children with faith. Which means the defining factor of what makes you Abraham's child of faith is not who you are and what family you're from, but the faith in and of itself. Faith is an inheritance. And so, and 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 we, we have this hard time understanding The promise of God that carries righteousness, the promise of God that makes us saved, is faith, not circumcision, not works, not the Mosaic law, but the promise of God is attached to faith. So when you are believing in God, you are a descendant of the faith, and you are an heir to the promise of God. Y'all got to hear me when I say this, right? When you are believing in God, you are inheriting the hope of the promises of God. You are inheriting the inheritance, the joy, the riches of the promise of God's Word. That's a specific faith that our faith rests in. And that faith does not offer you justification. It is completely apart from the law. And it does not depend on any religious ceremony. It rests in the promises of God to you. And that faith faith alone shouldn't justify you. But when you have faith that rests in the promise of God, that comes in what Christ has already done, the righteousness of Christ comes over you. It's not just believing in Jesus Christ. I mean, yes, it is. It is just, it is believing, at its core, it is believing that Jesus is Lord. But that faith that we believe in Jesus is Lord is a hope that rests in the promises of God. Well, Jane, though, what if we doubt God? What if we want to believe in God, that Jesus is Lord? What if we want to, what if we we are hearing all of what you're saying and it sounds a little crazy and I'm having a hard time keeping up because my brain feels like it's about to explode. But what if I, what if I doubt God? Abraham had his momentary doubts too. And in, in Genesis, Abraham laughs. laughs. When God first brings up, when God brings up a son, Abraham chuckles. Because he's a hundred. And like Paul says, to borrow the words of Apostle Paul, he was as good as dead. Right, So he chuckles. Abraham had his doubts as well. But he maintained firm conviction of God's promise and acted in it. What I mean by that is this. We all have our doubts. We all have our moments where we question whether or not God can do it. But there must be a decision that we must make to hope in God and to take him at his word. If you allow your doubts to rule you, that's another situation. But when we doubt, it is our decision to still hope in God, to still wrestle with God and try to take him at his word, to still take that faith and trusting him, even when we don't understand, even when it seems impossible to trust in God. That's that's also a decision. When you're at that crossroads of doubt, there's a decision that you can make. So how can we apply this into our lives? The first thing is very clear. Faith is distinct from the law. It's not achievement. All that you achieve will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. All that you achieve in church will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. All that you do for the church will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. All that you do for other people will not get you into the kingdom of heaven. Faith. Faith is what gets us into the kingdom of heaven. The second thing is that faith, I've been saying it all this time, but faith has power not in itself, but in the one whom we place our faith. The power of faith does not come in believing in and of itself, but it comes in the object of our faith. When you fall short of believing, when you fall short of grace, you've got to remember that the power of your faith does not rest in what you have or have not done. The power of your faith rests in the object of your faith. So that if you have faith and you've messed up, you've screwed up, what do you do? You look to the object, to the author and the perfecter of your faith. Because faith was never about what you could do. That's why I made that distinction in the beginning. Your faith does not bring you righteousness. It's faith in God that brings righteousness. Where is the focus of your belief? Is it on you and what you can receive? Or is it on God's word? Where is the focus? What are you looking at? What does your faith fluctuate on? What you can receive? Your faith in and of itself? Oh, my faith is growing. My faith is weakening. It's the object of your faith that has power. We have got to stop looking so much at ourselves that we miss God. The next thing is is that faith is based on God's word, not on our senses or the evidence of our experience. Church, you got to hear me when I say this. Because I really believe that this is what This is one of those things that God really wants us to believe. Faith is based on God's word, not on your experience. When Abraham was believing for God, nothing had come to pass. Faith is not based on our senses. It's not based on the evidence of our experience, but it's based on God's word. I know we are in hard times. I know it is hard to see God. And I know for some of you guys in your hearts right now, you might feel like you haven't really experienced God all too much. And I completely understand why you would have your doubts. But you've got to understand something. Faith is believing for the promise of Christ. The salvation of grace that comes in Christ, regardless of what you have sensed or experienced. Our hope is not in what we can see, our hope is not in what we can feel. Our hope is in the promise of God. Our hope is in the object of our faith. It's not the person who benefits from faith that's important. It's the object. If you are in a state where you're like, I'm having a hard time believing in God right now, be encouraged because this message is for you. It's a hard one. For those of you guys who are having a hard time believing that God is with you. For those of you guys who are having a hard time believing that God loves you. For those of you guys who are having a hard time believing that Jesus did do what he came to do. For those of you guys who allow yourselves to crumple up into a ball every time you sin, And rejoice over other people when you have been righteous. This is for you. Faith ain't got nothing to do with us. We put our faith not in what we've seen. That is not faith. We don't put our faith just in what we've experienced. Because that is not faith. When you hope in something, you're hoping in something that has not happened. You're having a confidence and a conviction in things that are not seen. And that is difficult. That is not easy but we can do it together. It's a decision to look at God's word and to trust God God's word more than more than what you see. It's like God, I have no idea how I'm here. God, I have no idea how you're going to do this. I have no idea. I am such a decrepit human being. I'm just looking at myself and objectively I suck. Objectively, I'm just bad. God, I've tried my best, my stinking best to believe in you. And I've had such a hard time experiencing you. And it feels like everybody else gets to see you but me. And I haven't seen you for myself fully. So I don't know if you love me. Faith is not trusting in your experience It is trusting that God's word hangs over your life against all odds. Hope against hope. That's faith. That's the kind of faith that becomes our membership card. It doesn't earn us anything, it opens up the gift that God has already given. Last but not least, we must be open to everybody. Not just the people we like, but the people we don't like. We must be open to everybody. We have to be. let's say somebody's more sinful than you let's say somebody acts in ways that you don't like let's say somebody has hurt you and even though those pains have healed you 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 can't help but judge them That don't matter. We are all in the kingdom of heaven together. This is all lofty. I know it's going to be hard for all of us to apply this faith into our lives. I truly believe That how to have faith in the middle of our specific circumstances can only come from our relationship with the Lord. So let's take this time to pray. Where is your faith and your hope in right now? Where is your hope in right now? of your faith maybe some of us we've allowed our faith to dictate our the way we see ourselves or the way we see other people For some of us we have a hard time believing we have a hard time trusting we have a hard time taking him at his word because of what we've experienced let's lift our doubts lift our concerns up to the Lord this morning let's just lift it up to God right now would you pray with me, let's pray From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.